0: Minutes ago, Alex. uh, Oh, yes, uh, kids can head back to kids' class Um, and thankful for teachers and such that are taking care of that. Um, Just a few minutes ago, Alex read for us from the book of Galatians, chapter 5, the fruits of the Spirit. And this is a passage, this is one of those passages that as as we study it, as we land in it, um, we we discover a a wide breadth of the call upon Christians to live. And uh, today we're just going to look at one of those words. We're going to look at one of those words. And in the ESV, it is the word goodness. It's the word goodness. Now, Other translations use a different word for that and that's fine. There's a a kind of a breadth of meaning here. And that other word that can be used here is the word generosity. And of course when we're talking about goodness, we're talking about generosity, we are first talking about God who is good and who is generous. And that's where we're going to land today as we are in our third week of Advent. This week and next week, we are going to just be talking about generosity. Because as we come into the Christmas season, we all know this, um, this season either becomes a season about generosity or it becomes a season about us and about what we get and what we gain. We know this is a battle for our kids, right? But we adults are not exempt from that either. We're not exempt from the feelings of want and desire of things that start on Black Friday and continue through, you know, the returns that happen between Christmas and New Year's. And so we're going to talk about generosity today. And to do so, we've already started in the book of Galatians. It's just a reminder that, that generosity itself is a fruit of the Spirit. What a fruit of the Spirit means is that it's not something that we have or get naturally. Now that doesn't mean that there aren't people who, ha- who are generous or who exhibit the idea of being generous. It doesn't mean that people who aren't Christians can't be generous in some way, but what it does mean is that for the Christian, number one, it's really, really important, right? It's, it's vital that we be generous. You, you don't get to the list of the fruit of the Spirit and think, all right, I'm good on six, but not on that one they are the fruits of the spirit they are supposed to be exhibited in some way in every believer period and whether that you're a brand new believer and you're just growing your faith there should be a growingness of each one of these fruits so it's not about naturally being generous but that the Spirit is working in us and growing in us the very character of God. Because that's the thing about the fruits of the Spirit. These are the very characteristics of God. This is who He is, and it's who we are meant to be. This has to be made in us. And we're going to come back to that in a little bit. To start, though, I I want to spend most of our time in God today. Today. Okay, We can talk all day about so many different ways to be generous and whatnot, and we're going to kind of come to a little bit of that at the end, but I really want to spend almost every moment of this sermon in God, because we are not generous by nature, even if we exhibit some qualities of generousness. But he is generous in all things. It is part of who he is. And so today what we're going to do is take a 10,000 foot view of God's generosity. Okay, we are going to, going to take this 10,000 foot journey and what we're going to do is kind of start and we're going to go way high and we're going to go way low and then we're going to keep kind of hopping and really all the way through the Bible. There are literally thousands Thousands upon thousands of examples of God's generosity in Scripture. The way that he interacts with his people in pretty much every time and every way exhibits some level of generosity, even when they are experiencing his wrath. Because the simple fact, the fact that they're experiencing his anger and his wrath means that they haven't yet been destroyed, means they haven't yet been wiped off the planet, okay? God is a generous God over and over again, thousands upon thousands of examples. There are so many things that we could flit to and fro from through every story to find those moments of divine generosity, but that is not what we're going to do today. I would invite you, though, this would be a really awesome way to go through the Bible next year. Resolve yourself next year to open up your Bible every day of the week next year, Every day of the week, every day, you know, all the way through the year. And look for those examples of generosity. Keep a journal. Like, read the Bible next year with, with a journal open. And every time you see God's generosity, make a note of it. It's a really cool way to go through the scriptures and to see, seek them out is to ask a question at the beginning of reading the whole thing and then read all the way through straight. I would, I would encourage you guys to do that. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be talking about being in the Word regularly and often. And the challenge I'm going to make to every one of you, I'll just tell you right now, is that we would all read the Bible through the course of next year. It's a challenge I make to our church every single year. And every year I've done that, we have had people who have increasingly read the Bible uh, more and more, including to the point of having people who are now reading the Bible five or six times through the year. And we will continue to do so, continue to make that challenge because it's so important. But Just think upon the Gospels, think upon the Scriptures, think about all the places that you can just off the top of your head picture the generosity of God, and we're not going to talk about most of those today. Instead, what we're going to do is take a look at five key actions of our good and gracious King, five key moments in Scripture, in the story of God's redemptive plan, where we are going to see His goodness towards us. So what we're going to do is take a look at five generous gifts that the Lord has given to us. And I just pray that today, this, that this would instill in us not only a desire to be generous, but just the desire to praise. To see his goodness for what it is right in front of our faces. And so where do you think we should begin if we're going to start looking at the goodness of God? How about Genesis 1.1? I mean, can you get any earlier? Remember this. God has been good from the very moment. From the very moment of the beginning of time. Because God was good from before the beginning of the moment of time. Because that is who God is. He is good. He is generous. Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Just pause there. Why would a perfect God in perfect unity in a perfectly eternal, loving relationship, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, without a problem or contention or division or anything in history, in the existence, decide, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm going to make Matt. I'm going to make you. I'm going to make a world that is going to have such problems that part of the Trinity, the, the Son, the eternally loved, is going to have to die a painful death because he's good and generous. God did not have to create the simple act that he did. The truth that we exist is that he did create us, which means he is good. He did not have to create But he did. Why? He created to share the love that only he had ever experienced with others. An overflowing love. An overflowing love. Michael Reeves, uh, in his book on the Trinity, and I think there's a copy of it on our bookshelf back there. Um, I'd encourage you to check that out. Buy your own copy because you want it. It's the best book in the Trinity I've ever read, and you don't need to be a seminarian to understand it. He says, He, God, has always enjoyed showering his love on his son, and in creating he rejoices to shower it on children he loves through his son. The very act of creation is God's first act of generosity, Towards people like you and I. We see a beautiful generosity in the creation act as God's love pours out on that creation. God the Father shares the love he has for the Son and the Spirit by creating something wonderful. See, not only did he choose to create, but he also chose to create in the way that he did. Have you ever thought about how awesome creation is? How awesome every piece part Jot and tittle of creation is. Michael Reeves goes on to say in in a different section, he says, there is something gratuitous about creation. An unnecessary abundance of beauty and through its blossoms and pleasures we can revel in the sheer largest of the Father. God not only created But he created so wonderfully that you and I can spend our entire lives studying just the things of creation and never know it all. We can be awed and amazed every single night by a different sunset and in the morning by a different sunrise. We can look at a a billion snowflakes and never see the same design. Do you realize that God created could have created everything the same way that communist and socialistic countries did in the 70s? To be boring and drab. It would have met its function, right? But instead, God creates something wonderful. Why? Because he's generous. Because he's good. In creation, God poured out his love and creativity and vibrance and diversity, making create and even still sustaining it, right? Because creation was not just an act that happened over six days and ended with a day of rest. I mean, that's the creation story, but God has been creating and recreating every moment since, keeping hearts like mine and yours still beating when we wake up, keeping brains still functioning. Why? Because of his goodness, because of his generosity. This leads us to our second great generous act of God, revelation. See, God made everything. He made it wonderful. He made it great. The kids even today, this is kind of awesome, uh, learned today that God made everything very good. That was the lesson for today, coincided really well with today's sermon. But sin entered into God's creation and the natural love, the easy love between God and his people ceased to be easy. Simply put, humanity got harder to love and even the world, the creation broke. This is why we can rejoice in the weather system that brought Lahana, our first moisture in over a month. And why we can cry out to God that the same weather system as it crossed the country destroyed many people's homes and took many lives in the same breath we can worship the Lord for his goodness and we can cry out to him because this world has broken we know this intuitively even if everything seems as right as it could be in our lives we still know that there is still stuff that's not right we know that our relationship with God was broken. I mean, just think about it. Adam and Eve in the garden, right? God had wonderfully and beautifully made them, created them in relationship with him. And immediately after that, or as part of that, they, they stray, they go their own way, they sin, and that suddenly means that humanity and God no longer have that perfect relationship. Well, what's going to happen? Well, option one is that humanity is going to spend the rest of its existence apart from God because after sin, humanity cannot find God alone. Our brains, our minds, our souls are so broken that if left to our own, we would never actually find God, let alone even seek him. So what does God do in his goodness? He shows himself. He reveals himself. Humanity did not know God. Humanity was missing out and so what did God do? Well it's really interesting because God's goodness and revelation started even before the fall. Romans 1 18 through 20 tells us that the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteous men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made, so they are without excuse. What this means is that even before the fall, God put himself, the image of himself, into creation in such a way that broken people like you and I can actually get glimpses of his power and his majesty and his glory by opening our eyes and looking outside. By taking a microscope and looking at the human eye and cell structures and a million other ways that we get to see how awesome God is. That even before the fall, God was already acting generously and giving us what we needed to begin the search for him. Unfortunately though, because of things that are broken, it's not enough. I mean, it tells us that in, in Romans 1, 18 through 20. They're without excuse, right? He gives, you just, he gives us just enough to hang ourselves, literally. He gives us just enough in creation to hang ourselves and not find salvation. So what does he do? Well, he doesn't leave revelation at that. But he continues to show himself. He reaches out to Abraham He speaks to him with a promise and a covenant of faithfulness. He speaks to Moses in a burning bush. And for the first time, God introduces himself to his people from the beginning. He says, I am who I am. That's my name. I am who I am. I have always been and I will always be. Later, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments. And from there, he gives the law which continues to reveal God's heart for righteousness and justice. Later on, he speaks to the prophets in words that we should never take lightly. Over and over again in the prophets, you read these words, thus saith the Lord, or in more modern translations, the Lord said. It's a serious thing to put words into the mouth of God, something I hope to never do unless those words first came out of the mouth of God. It's an even more serious thing to claim to be God. See, Revelation didn't just end with the prophets, right, did it? It it continued. And in Jesus, we have someone who both claimed to speak for God, thus saith the Lord, but also said to be God. John 12, 49, Jesus says, "'For I have not spoken on my own authority, "'but the Father who sent me has himself given me a commandment, "'what to say and what to speak.'" And I know that his commandment is eternal life. What I say, therefore, I say as the Father has told me. That is the king of all, thus saith the Lord's statements. In other places, Jesus announces that he is, I am. Jesus claims both to be God and to speak for God. Revelation, the goodness of God. God introducing himself To his people. The Bible's clear about him. Colossians 1:19 tells us that it is, for in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. Just think about that. All the fullness of God was pleased to dwell in him. Hebrews 1:1 through 3 tells us this. This is about revelation, by the way. Long ago, at many times and in many ways. God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days he's spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, and through whom also he created the world. He is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature, and he upholds the universe by the word of his power. What we discover there is that God has been revealing himself all the way through. And at one time, he spoke through the prophets, through Abraham, through Moses, through Elijah, Ezekiel, all the, Isaiah, everybody. All the, the Old Testament books that we read. And now what we discover is that he has chosen to spoke and to speak clearly about who he is. And he says, here is my son, the exact imprint of who I am. If we want to know who God is, who do we look at? We look at Jesus. Thanks, Randy. We look at Jesus because God is so good that he gives us himself. He reveals himself to us. From the very beginning, God has been giving us the gift of revelation. He has given us himself that we would know him and know what is required of us to be saved. God's goodness starts in creation his, his generosity starts in creation and it continues in revelation. And that lands in the fullness of Christ coming to us. That's the incarnation. This is number three for anybody who's taking notes. This is the third stop on our 10,000-foot journey. Philippians 2, 5-8. Paul writes these words. Most of us have heard them before. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus The Son of God, who is eternally existent with the Father, has been in all times and all places and before all times and all places, would come to us in a baby. Christian Christmas is one of the most ridiculous things that has ever been conceived of. It just is. Secular Christmas makes far more sense. Just think about that. The fact that God, who created everything, the one we just read about in Hebrews chapter one, and in Colossians chapter one, who is eternally existent, he's the exact imprint of the, the Father, the, the, the God would come and dwell in this tiny little baby, is nuts. And it's awesome. And it's awesome. You know, one of the ways that I think you can know the Christian faith is true is because if I was trying to create a religion, it would not involve that. Why is it that the Christian faith is unique in God lowering himself and coming to us? Every other religion, God raises himself up and wipes over humanity like a flood. But Jesus humbles himself, even to the point of death on the cross. He takes the form of a servant is born in the likeness of men. Verse 7, he emptied himself. R.C. Sproul called this addition by subtraction. He takes on humanity and appears to become less. He gives up his glory, his honor, while limiting the use of his divine nature. This is amazing. Are you generous enough to lay down everything that you are? Every right and every privilege? This is generosity. Sometimes generosity is not clearly seen in what is given, but in what is given up. What is limited, what is sacrificed. And that leads us to our fourth stop on this 10,000 foot journey. What I think is probably the greatest gift of all of them that we're going to talk about today. And that is redemption, salvation. It is the gift of redemption, it is the gift of salvation That we are given a life that we do not, did not, and never will deserve. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that for our sake, our being you and me, insert your name there. For Matt's sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him, Jesus, we might become, I might, Matt might become the righteousness of God. Let me read that again. Put your own name in here. For our sake, he, Jesus, made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we, you and I, might become the righteousness of God. We are given the righteousness of God, and he does what? He takes on the sinfulness of man. Have you ever been to a really ridiculous white elephant gift exchange? I've been to some really crazy ones. I've been to some crazy ones in some really wealthy parts of our country with some really wealthy people. I've also been to some in just some really poor parts of our country with some really poor people. Tell you, the poor ones are always better. They're way more fun. Every single white elephant gift exchange that I've ever been to, right? If you don't know if you know what a white elephant gift is, everybody brings something stupid, right? Except that one person who didn't realize it was a white elephant gift exchange. right? And they put some thought into this and some money into it, or they man-made something, and they bring it. You know who always gets the worst gift at the white elephant gift exchange? It's the person who brings the best gift every time. Right? You exchange an 80-inch TV, I'm just mad, I don't even know, for a dog bag with poop in it. Right, you exchange this great thing that you made, this handmade quilt, and in exchange you get this gag gift of slime and silly putty that explodes in your car on the way home. And here's Jesus on purpose, exchanging his righteousness His glory, exchanging all of this so that he can do what? He can take on my sin, my lusts, my angers, my frustrations, my fears, my anxieties. He's unbelievably generous when we think about salvation. Jesus gives himself to us and he takes on the worst part of us in return. Let me say it again. Jesus gives us himself and he takes on the worst parts of us in return. I want to pause here and I want to ask you to consider something. I want to ask whether or not you have received that gift. It requires a pause. Have you received the gift of salvation or have you thus far sought the gifts that come with the gift of salvation? We talk a lot about what the gospel is and what the gospel is. Let me tell you a few things the gospel is not. We need to be really clear on this. The reason we need to be really clear on this is because there are countless people who have exchanged lesser gifts for the gift. So let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not that Jesus wants to be your friend. The gospel is not that Jesus wants to be your friend. That's a good gift that comes with the gospel, okay? The gospel is not that Jesus wants you to live a good life or to live your best life now. That too is a good gift that we're given along with the gospel, but it is not the gospel. The gospel is not that we get to have a great church community, that we get friends and family that weren't family. Again, this too is a really good, good gift that comes with the gospel, but it's not the gospel. The gospel is not that we get power from the Holy Spirit who will help us have power in life and such things. Again, a good gift that comes with the gospel. And let me tell you, it always comes with the gospel, the gift of the Spirit. The gospel is not that we get freedom to sin while expecting that Jesus will forgive us. His daily forgiveness is, again, a good gift, but only to those who have received the greatest gift. Only to those who have received the greatest gift. And those who have received the greatest gift do not enjoy their sin knowing they will be forgiven at the end of the day. My fear, friends, is that some of us have skipped over the greatest gift of salvation and exchanged it for all the little stuff that comes in the stocking. Right? My fear is that some of us have exchanged this amazing thing that Christ has done for us, that the God of the universe would die on a cross for us for these other beautiful and wonderful things. You don't have to be a Christian to enjoy a good church community. You don't have to be a Christian to experience a good life. You don't have to be a Christian to experience most of these lesser gifts. You can sit in a pew for 80 years and have never received salvation, never realized the sin in your life, never realized that what you really needed was Jesus, not a hug. Guys, Jesus wants to be your friend. He wants you to have a good life, by his definition, not yours. He wants you to have a great church community. He wants you to be filled with the Holy Spirit. He wants you to have freedom from sin, not to sin. But those things only come when we've received the greatest gift of salvation, when we recognize that we have sinned, that we have fallen short of everything God wanted us to be and that our only hope in life and death is Jesus Christ alone. Does your sin make you sad, grieve and cry out to God? Do you confess your sin and your sinfulness to the Lord regularly? Do you know that your only hope in life and death is Christ's atoning sacrifice alone? Are you seeking God to transform your mind, heart, and body into the image of Christ? Is the most important thing in your life your relationship with God? Or if I can extend a tiny bit of grace, at least desire to do so, even if you really struggle to make it happen. (coughs) If you're a Christian, the answer to these questions is yes. If your answer is no... Then you're not a Christian. I don't know if I can be any clearer. Some of us have prayed a prayer of salvation long ago, but that prayer is one that we have not sought to live ever since. Do you know what happens to your pastor if he goes a day without confessing sin? He sins, <laughs> he falls. So, this is a daily kind of thing. God generously gives this gift. Generously. He doesn't say, hey, come clean up. Clean up your stuff, then come to me. He says, hey, look, how dirty are you? Great, come on in. Let's get you changed. He says, come on in. This is a free gift that he gives. Why? Because he's generous. And I just got to urge with you right now today that if, if you have sought the lesser gifts and have never found the greater gift, then today is that day. Don't let it go another one because you don't know if you have that day. He is generous. It started before time. It landed in the story of creation, his generosity. He has revealed himself to be so every single day since the beginning of creation. In the incarnation, he reveals it. In salvation, I think he doubly reveals it. And here's our Fifth stop on the 10,000-foot journey, and that is the giving of the Holy Spirit. John fourteen twenty six. Jesus is getting ready to leave. Now, if you've been with us for any amount of months, uh, we've been studying the book of John for a couple of years. This last spring, we were in John 14. Jesus says, but the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. John 14, 12, a few verses earlier, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me also will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. We talked about this a few months ago. If you're a Christian, then you have been promised this gift of the Holy Spirit. We get the gift of the Holy Spirit, and that Holy Spirit will teach us, train us, encourage us. It's our counselor. It builds us. He builds us up, Right? And Jesus says that because the Spirit's coming, you will do greater things than me. You will do greater things than me. Now, greater does not actually mean better. Right? I challenge you to do better things than Jesus. But what he means is that it'll be bigger. And not you alone, probably, although maybe. Right, we talked about this. This is his message to the church, that the Spirit comes upon the church and the church gets to do greater things. Jesus spent the entirety of his ministry within about 50 square miles. But his church, empowered by the Holy Spirit, does his work further out. Think on this. His disciples the 11 that were left after Judas betrayed him, his disciples went farther and to more people and more places than Jesus did. He wasn't lying when he said, I've got to go away so that you guys will do something greater. But he generously poured out his spirit on his disciples and sent them out to do amazing work. Does it startle you at all to think, man, the disciples did more than Jesus? Did you know that the average Christian who comes to Jesus as a teenager and lives faithfully for the rest of their lives will have more opportunities to personally minister to people than Jesus and all the disciples combined? You and me. They were limited. They were limited by technology, by roads. They were limited by energy. They were limited by education. They were limited by a billion things, and yet they did amazing things. What are our excuses? I started thinking about this. Even the average pastor of a small church in a small town may reach more people in the name of Jesus than Jesus himself did. Me, in Lahana, Colorado. How amazing is that? How amazing is that? And guys, it's not about numbers. It's not about how many people we reach. But God took this gift. He gives it to us. The gift of the Holy Spirit in the believer's life to change us and empower us and transform us, to cause us to throw away our addictions, become new people. Salvation is the best gift that I think any of us will ever receive. The gift of the Spirit is a close second. It is a close second. Power to transform us. Power to live and minister in the power to see others come to Jesus, to receive life, and they too to be empowered by the Spirit. Can you name another gift in this world that without adding more to it, it will be bigger and bigger as it goes? The Spirit doesn't become less as new believers, gain the Spirit. It's not that I have one billionth of the Spirit in my life because I'm one of a billion Christians. There is only one Spirit, and that Spirit can't be divided. It tells us that in the book of John. The Spirit is as big in you as it was in the Apostle Peter when he preached to 3,000 people on the streets of Jerusalem. That Spirit is the same size in you as when Paul, annoyed by a girl following him around, cast the demon out of her. That Spirit is the same size in you as when the disciples preached and led and changed the world over the course of one or two generations. is God's generosity to us it's generosity to us and here's here's the thing that has been blowing my mind all week on the generosity of God it is it's completely undeserved I just lifted off five of the greatest gifts that have ever existed existing right the first one I said is essentially existing existing God revealing himself to us sinful and broken people The incarnation that Jesus would give up everything for us. Salvation that He would die on the cross for us. And the giving of the Spirit that we would be empowered to be more than Jesus even was. And it's undeserved. I don't deserve any of it. You don't deserve any of it. And that's the point it's built on His character, not ours. Here's the second thing that has really been blowing my mind all week as I think about the generosity of God. Think about this. Think about all these gifts that he gives us and we don't care at all. Guys, in my humanness, man, if I was going to make a gift for someone, and I have been, I've been making gifts lately from giving to people. And I thought, you know what, I'm going to bring this gift over to Meredith. You know what she's going to do? She's going to throw it in the fireplace. You know what I'm not going to do? I'm not going to bring Mary to you a gift. God gives us the Spirit, and we don't care. We don't listen to the Spirit in our lives. We don't care that that means that we're empowered to preach to everybody and anybody that we come in contact with. It doesn't care that it empowers us to get rid of our addictions to alcohol or marijuana or to any other number of drugs. We don't care. We don't care. We don't care about the gifts of God. God is this generous God who's just dumping blessing upon blessing upon blessing upon us and most of the time we don't even give it a second thought. And yet he gives them to us. The word for this is lavish. In the Bible, the word lavish is used in the prodigal story of the prodigal son when the son, who is doing his own thing, goes and spends his whole dad's inheritance on booze and food and women and all kinds of just wasteful living. It's lavish living. It's wasteful. Tim Keller, a number of years ago, coined the term uh, the, the prodigal God because God's love is just, it seems, as wasteful. It's lavish. It's extravagant. It just pours out. His generosity is unending. We don't deserve it. Most of the time, we don't even want it. And he keeps giving. And he keeps giving. And he keeps giving. That's our 10,000 foot view of the generosity of God. We're almost done. Kent Hughes, pastor, theologian, seminary professor, I believe, writes this. He says, there's a very intentional theology of generosity in the Gospel of Luke in particular. And the point is, Hughes captured it as generosity is a sign of a regenerate soul. Sorry, here's what, what he says. He says, there is no such thing as a Christian Scrooge. He says, we may know some Scrooges who claim to be Christians, but I don't think you can claim to really know Christ and be a stingy person. The gospel opens our soul, and with it, our hands. He highlights that in the book of Luke, just a few chapters apart, you get the story of the rich young ruler who comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to be saved? Jesus says to him, sell everything, give it to the poor. That man walks away sad. Sad. He's just encountered Jesus Christ, the incarnation of the Son of God. Power, love, generosity pouring out of him. He walks away sad. A few chapters later, you get the story of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus, this sinning tax collector who has defrauded his family and his friends, his community out of tax money. He meets Jesus, and what happens? He immediately apologizes, confesses his sin, repents, and then he takes all his money and just throws it at people what happens. He says, look, I'm not only going to pay back what I've taken, but four times what I've taken from everybody I've taken it from. Friends, I think we need to be really careful here, but I think that we need to really believe that generosity is one of, not the only thing, one of the things that is a sign that, of, of whether or not we are saved. Saved people are generous. This is Kent Hughes' point. Saved people are generous. That's built in the fact that it's also a fruit of the Spirit. And as I said early on, we can't just say, you know what, I've got most of the fruits of the Spirit covered, but I'm gonna ignore that one. It's not an option. Generousness. Are you a generous person? A few questions here. Is are we are we generous? And, and here's the, the Christian trifecta: time, talents, and treasure, right? Stewardship. If you've been a Christian for any amount of years, you know that those three words always get used together. Usually, interestingly enough, on uh, members, meetings, days when you're gonna vote on a budget. Interestingly enough, that was not a plan. Are you generous in your time, your talents, and your treasure? How about in your energy? One of the things I've noticed about modern people is that it's not about our time, our talent, our treasure. It actually is a lot of times it comes down to our energy. What we spend our energy on really matters. It seems like it's actually the most limited resource that we have. And that in time, you can't make more of it. It is what it is. Here's some areas that, that I just want us to be thinking about when we think about generosity. Because what I don't want us to do is think that this whole sermon is now about money. Because it's not. Every Christian should be generous in and growing in generosity in these things. The first is money. Sorry. It is money. Why? Because money is where our heart is. So much of the time, money is where our heart is. Just the way we are as a modern people. Okay, how about in our gifts? Spiritual and natural. Every one of us has stuff we're good at. If you're a Christian, you also have spiritual stuff that you're good at, that the Spirit is building in us. Um, that's not fruits of the Spirit, but that is spiritual gifts. You can read about that in first, particularly first and second Corinthians, as well as in Romans and a few other places. Are you generous in serving? And when somebody needs to be served, are you first to raise your hand? Are you generous in your time? Again, time, and we can't get time back. Time is what time is. We have 24 hours a day. We sleep for a certain number of that. We eat for a certain number of that. There's a few other things I won't mention that we do for a certain amount of that time. We only have so much time in the world. Are you willing to be generous with a very limited resource? Energy, I've already mentioned that, same thing. We only have so much energy. Energy and time kind of go together. The more time we spend sleeping, the more energy we have right? The more time we spend resting, the more energy we have, but that, that's a trade-off, right? We spend more time sleeping, you have less time. How about how we treat each other? Are you generous in how you treat each other? Are you generous in relationship? Today, you, Christians, in my opinion, should be incredibly generous in our relationships. What does that mean? It means that we're going to be really patient with each other, We've talked about this the last few weeks, that the term is long suffering. Now, we're going to put up with each other's stuff for a long time before we fight about it. Are you quick to forgive? The Bible tells us that we should not let the sun set on our anger. How often do you let the sun set on your anger? Either with a spouse, with a friend, or a coworker. When you wake up the next morning, you're fuming still. Sometimes we know if it's not a big deal. Sometimes that night actually is what gives us the ability to forgive. It's not, don't need to be, be uh, legalistic about it. But are you quick to forgive when somebody wrongs you? Are we generous in our relationships with people? Okay, how do we grow in generosity? Really quick here. Five ways to grow in generosity. Because I've got to leave you with some things to to go and do and think about. Number one, give your life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. Right? We've already said generosity is not something we're going to do ourselves. We need the spirit in our lives. The spirit comes after we've given our life to Jesus. Give your life to Jesus. If you're already Christian, then give your life to Jesus again. And again. And again, and again. The more time that we spend reminding ourselves how much we need Jesus, which is what we're doing essentially when we're giving our life to Jesus, we're saying, Jesus, I'm still making a mess of this even though I've been a Christian for 35 years. Right? The more time we spend thinking about how much we need Jesus, the easier it will be to be generous with other people. The easier it will be to be generous with what we have because we know it's not ours anyway because we've given it all to him. And if you've never given your life to Jesus, today is the day. Come talk to me after church. And if you're not sure, let's, let's talk. For sure. Number two, you need to pray. Number two, you need to pray. Pray for the Spirit's leading to make us generous. Generosity comes out of a saved life. And it's a fruit of the Spirit. We need to pray to the Spirit to give it to us. To build that in us. Kay? If you recognize in your life that you are really stingy in some areas, say, Lord, I am really stingy when it comes to my money. I protect it with everything I am. I need you to help me release that. You say, Lord, I'm really protective about my time. It's all the time I have. It's my time. I want to use it the way I want to use it. <laughs> say, Lord, I need your help with my time, with being generous. You have trouble forgiving people, being patient with people. You say, Lord, I need help. This is so important. Living in unity and and peace within the church is so important, but I can't forgive my brother when they hurt me. It takes me weeks to forgive. Pray. Number three, growing in generosity. You need to examine where you're generous and where you're not. I'm going to just make a guess. Most of us are generous in one way or another. Like we know that when it comes to giving, like we love giving. That's great. But again, we get to our time and we're like, you know, it's my time. Or We get to energy and we say, no, it's my, my energy. I'm, I'm not going to do anything with that. Where are you good in your generosity and where are you not? Where do you need to grow in your generosity? Number four, we need to practice generosity. <laughs> it's a skill. <laughs> it comes from the Lord and we grow its use. The more we are generous, the more generosity will build in us, the easier it becomes. And as always, start with small things. Here's something else I've been really thinking about lately. Zane and I were talking about this just a couple weeks ago. Um, How do you know it's the Spirit telling you to do something or not? To be generous. I said, well, in the end, does it matter? Isn't it just better to err on the side of generosity? Generosity. Like, if you're going to make the mistake in one direction or the other, isn't it better to be lavish like God is lavish rather than (laughs) stingy? So you feel that urge. You think, you know what, I could do this for this person, this nice thing for this person. I could give to the church or I could give to this cause or I could spend my time to do this. I could build this. I can serve this. Guess what? You're sitting there struggling through. Is the Spirit telling me to do this? I don't know. I can't tell you what the Spirit's telling you to do, but on the other side of it, you might know. The trouble is you don't want to get to the other side of it having not done and then realize that really was God telling me to do something. Err on the side of generosity. Practice small, work your way up. Number five, and hear this well, stop making excuses. But they might not appreciate it they might not like it it might offend them I might have not have enough if I give okay we can make up a million excuses not to be generous but just picture this conversation in the throne room of God Jesus is getting ready to come down and put on human skin come in the form of a baby and he says but 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 I don't want to be that small and he says, but I don't want to die. He says, you know, Father, they're, they're really not going to appreciate it. Most of them are going to ignore it. Imagine that conversation. It's not how the conversation went. Instead, Jesus humbled himself. He came in the form of a servant. He died on a cross the most generous death that has ever been given, the most generous life that has ever come, the most generous gift that has has ever been given. Let us be thankful that Jesus didn't make the excuses that we make. And let us be generous people in all things, especially this season, but in all of life. Would you pray with me? God, we come before you and we pray. God, I, I pray upon our church right now. This isn't just for me, God. I pray that we would be a generous people. I pray that that would include, yes, the, the money and the giving and the tithes, also giving and offering to other kingdom um, things, to missionaries and, and causes and schools and all kinds of other really good stuff. But God, I also pray for a generosity that, that just is, that flows through the community of our church that we would be quick to forgive, that we would be very patient with each other, that we would love each other well. God, that we would be generous in our our talents, the things that we love doing that we're good at, that we would share that with our church community. God, I pray that your spirit would work in us in this time, Lord, and I also pray right now um, for the conviction of your spirit upon our lives if we have been wasting the generous gifts that you've given us. Whether that means we've been holding back our worship or we've been holding back our confessions from you. God, I pray that today, even as we come to the time of communion we're about to come into, Lord, that this would be a time that we come before you and, and even work generously towards you in laying out everything that we are before you. And God, I pray that you would continue to be generous in your giving of spirit and salvation that we can find life every day. God, we come before you and we pray that you would help us and receive us and save us today, Lord. For you are good and your love endures forever. Amen. Church, we come now at the time.